Everybody on their feet. Green sets, fires. A swing and a drive to deep right. Away back. Off the pole. A grand slam high off the right field foul pole. He's done it again. Francisco Lindor has pulled the Indians to within a run. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 86 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter, at BreakBallsPod. Or, if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. Noah Syndergaard is an angel. And I don't just mean, like, angelic with his blonde flowing locks and the halo above his head. I mean, he is literally a Los Angeles angel. And I was fucking shocked. Wait, are, are you kidding? He's on the Angels? This is how you tell me? What is this? Some kind of like, uh, you want my reaction? <laughs> this is a reaction show now. I'm like, nobody tell John. Keep him in a bubble. Right, yeah. It was like a Truman Show situation in the last few days. Well, I mean, the way that Mets fans are reacting, you would think that it had been kept from them until the last possible second. They are flipping out. And I get it, man. Hey, Thor was, well, actually, now it's just a Grom, I think, is the last link to that World Series appearance in 2015. So, I mean, I'll come right out of the gate and say it. I'm happy for Noah. I think he's going to do well in L.A. I hope he does well in L.A. It was definitely surprising, but everybody flipping out, you got to take off the nostalgia glasses for a second. Let's be real for a second here. The dude, and I know this is the, the factoid that keeps getting thrown around, but it's true. He's pitched two innings over the last two years. His last full season was 2019. It was not great. If you remember, his ERA was pushing five. He threw a lot of innings, but he was not he was not vintage Thor. Yeah, he was um, clearly injured. Eh, well, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, so granted, and that's, you know, he was injured through that. Okay, sure. There's nothing, nothing close to a guarantee as to what he's going to look like this year. And you know what? I mean, the other thing, you and I were laughing before, a lot of the Mets fans being like, oh, so what? For just three, four million dollars, that's all it takes? Yeah. That's that's a lot of money. That's a chunk of change right there. Like, And especially since it's a big question mark. He may never get a deal that big. He may never get anything like that. So can we really begrudge the guy for after not pitching for two years and now coming off major injury, taking as much money as he possibly can? Because well, who's to say that he doesn't get re-injured? Who's to say that he's even able to pitch after this year? So it's like, yeah, he should take every fucking dollar that he possibly can at the highest bid. Absolutely. And, for, you know, for any of you Mets fans freaking out out there, it's a one-year deal. He's going to be a free agent. Like, if all goes well, he could very well wind up back here. Who knows? You clarified something for me that was really helpful here because one of the one of the narratives is that the Mets weren't really incommunicado with him. You know what I mean? They, they gave him the qual... Yeah. I shouldn't say gave. They offered him the qualifying offer, you know, set amount of money. And the... The feel that we're getting seems to be that there was like no follow-up. No like, hey, how you feeling? Like, hey, we want you, yada, yada, yada. Whereas the Angels apparently flew out here, wined him and dined him, had a whole presentation ready for him. And so 
after you clarified that to me, I'm kind of at the point where I honestly don't begrudge either side. You know, Noah Syndergaard, he's a, you know, all, you got to keep in mind, like all these, all these athletes are very special people in terms of like how unique they are in this ability sense. Like, so if you want to be, you know, you want people to jump through hoops for you, there's nothing wrong with that. I also think that on the Mets side, there's nothing wrong with the Mets not jumping through those hoops for somebody who it's like, hey man, Thor was great four or five years ago. Who knows if he's going to be great now? So if you want to, you know, offer him the 18 million, okay, cool. But let's also not act like that was some kind of benevolent, like, oh, this is what we think you were. It was a set amount. That's what the qualifying offer is. And it's also, there's a little bit of frostiness there, I guess, in that, let's not forget, if he says no, they're covering their asses with the draft pick. And also, this could be what they were intending. It they, could well This be. could be, hey, we offered him the QO, and that will appease him and the fans, because if the Mets had just let him walk completely people would be losing their minds. But now this spins a nice little narrative for the Mets that, hey, this could be the outcome that they were hoping for, that he would go elsewhere in free agency and not come to the Mets. They get their compensatory draft pick, and now Thor looks like the asshole to the fans. So it's like a win-win-win for the Mets. A rare PR win for the Mets, really? But you wouldn't know it the way the people are responding to it. But when you sit down and think about it, Listen, man, I like Thor too. I really do. I have a Thor jersey, all that shit, you know. But at the end of the day, when people are, you know, so upset about Thor leaving, let's be honest, they're picturing 2016 Thor. They just are. He may be that guy. He may not be that guy. We don't know. So to pretend like this is devastating for the organization, it's really not. If anything, this frees up $18.5 million now to go get a starting pitcher that will throw 100 innings. You know what I'm saying? And isn't going to be on some kind of pitch count. Yada, yada, yada. So I see it as, hey, man, fantastic tenure for the most part in New York. Didn't end the way that we wanted to. Maybe not over. You know, who knows? And good on him because, hey, he spent so much time off the field at this point. And even though his time on the field for the Mets was memorable, albeit short, he spent so much time off the field in recent memory that good on Thor for keeping himself relevant via the avenues that he was able to, yeah. social media, all these things, and staying in touch with the fans and keeping them engaged with him as a part of the organization to the point that people are upset even though he hasn't pitched in two years. So he basically, I mean, his, his performance got it for him. Right. But his engagement with the fans while he's been rehabbing for the last two years is without a doubt playing a role in his ability to even get that qualifying offer. Like, oh, totally. past performance and obviously his ceiling, which is very high, play a much bigger role in that. But this is something that can't just be brushed aside. I mean, if the fans had forgotten about him to the because he's not been around and not been engaged with them, who knows if this would have even gone down this way. He could have just walked as a free agent and no one would have gave a shit because he wasn't a fan favorite. No, it's true. And if I could just say one more thing before I move on to the other uh, signings that have happened, and there are a few. One thing that it's really important to remember, and I'm not telling you this, M, because you're the one that made sure I knew this. Um, <laughs> guys, it's so important to remember, however much it might sting, baseball, it's a business at the end of the day. So all these people screaming about, you know, 
Thor has no loyalty to the Mets, you know, the team that helped the rehab. Yeah, like they were contractually obligated to. I mean, come <laughs> what on. What were they going to do? And that's what I'm saying. It's like, so if, if you begrudge, you know, a 29-year-old guy going out and getting paid, going out to the West Coast, like, you got to be happy for him. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, he's doing what's best for him. And isn't, isn't that really what you want? Don't you want the players to come out on top here? Like, stop filleting ownership. You know what I mean? <laughs> Loyalty is not a thing in this game anymore. It's just not. It, it's, you know, for better or for worse, that's a different argument for another time. But at the end of the day, it's a business. These were business decisions. And all parties involved did what they thought was best for them in a business sense. And what's really funny is that there was never any loyalty in the game. No. It was under the guise of just, there was no free agency for a while. So God, there was no incentive for guys to really go to different teams. Were there trades happening? Sure. But when there's no free agency, then the teams are the ones who are making the decisions 100% of the time. So loyalty, aka they had no fucking choice. Yeah, you know, you hear people go, oh, players never stay on one team their whole career because that's not how it works anymore. It's just not. And you got to accept it. And the bottom line is the more that you start accepting that baseball is a business, the more that not just the stuff we're talking about now, everything makes more sense. It really does. I was just going to try to segue with speaking of making more sense, but then I couldn't figure out how this would connect with that. <laughs> well, we're here. <laughs> I guess it makes sense in that Verlander just signed with the Astros. I know he was rumored to go to the Yankees, this place, that place, but he's back with the Astros. He turned down the qualifying offer, as did every single player that was offered it, except for Brandon Belt of the San Francisco Giants. But Verlander is back with the Astros, a one-year deal worth $25 million with a option for a second year. And clearly, he was probably like, listen, fucking Noah Syndergaard just got $21 million. Give me a few more million because right. I can't go out <laughs> like this. Yeah, and I mean, my big I don't think it's a particularly surprising move. Obviously, nothing akin to Thor moving. But my big takeaway from this is that source season is in full effect right Ugh. now. Holy shit. If you were to go just on all the chatter on Twitter, Verlander was definitely going to be a Yankee. And what's the phrase that was? Yeah, the, the, the deal's on the one yard line, which also <laughs> mixed sports metaphors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when are people going to learn the Yankees are rumored in every single free agent situation every year without fail? And the Yankees are a team that are always in it and are always looking to add pieces almost every year, it seems, even if they end up not doing that. So if you're a player who's a free agent and you're trying to drum up some interest, you're going to leak to the press that the Yankees are talking to you, even if they're fucking not, because why not? That just, oh shit, the Yankees, they got deep pockets. We got to go after this guy. Even if it doesn't end up working out like that, why wouldn't you do that? No, it's true. And all these clowns on Twitter, they're like, you know, sources tell me. <laughs> what that really is, source is using you, you fucking rube. Or you're the source. Right, or, or you made it up, but yeah, <laughs> either way. And people fall for it every year, which I don't get. And especially the Yankee fans that I'm seeing, they are like, they're upset that they didn't get Verlander, first of all, even though it was a non-source, it was a non-story. But say, they... I know one Yankee fan that's not sad you didn't get Verlander. Oh my God, I know. I said to John before we started recording that I am actually happy 
not because he's going to be 39, not because he is coming off Tommy John surgery, but because I don't have to force myself to like this fucking guy. <laughs> and to the point I can continue hating him because he's on the Astros still. I was going to say, yeah, no, as two adults in their 30s, we're actually pretty ageist against those in their late 30s because <laughs> yes. we fear the passage of time, frankly. Yankee fans, so they wanted Verlander. But they also never want to sign the big free agents because I've been talking with people about the, the shortstop situation and yada yada. And a big complaint people have is they don't want to sign someone like Correa or Seager because they don't want the big deal because they don't want, you know, in eight years from now, that might handcuff the Yankees on being able to. Th 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 oh, you mean like exactly how those deals are always structured? And do they think that no risk can go down? The Yankees can risk nothing and still win a World Series because they also don't want to trade guys because someone said, hey, what if Anthony Volpe gets traded and he ends up being the next Derek Jeter? And okay, listen, that would be great for Volpe and that would be like, oh man, that sucks for the Yankees. But do you want to win now or not? People don't want to trade prospects for proven major league talent because the unproven prospect might end up a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here. And let's be honest, a big part of why the Yankees have as many fans as they do is that run in the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, that's going to attract a lot of fans, obviously. I would also venture to say that a lot of them are close to our age. Would you agree? And not for nothing, like when you're 10 years old watching the World Series, you are not hip to whatever moves and risks the Yankees did take to make that happen. So it's really easy to look back and like take those as a given. It's like, oh, well, yeah, of course the Yankees won five, you know, four or five, whatever the fuck it was. They were never not going to. And it's like, you were not old enough to know what went into those teams. You were just there to celebrate it. So now when it's, hey, you know, you're an adult, you're paying attention on this level and getting into the nitty gritty of it. Every team that wins the World Series did so by taking some level of risk. You know, all those, like, we're even, even talking about this year, talking about the Braves, you know, they practically built that team at the trade deadline. That could very easily not work. That in and of itself was a big risk, you know, putting together that much of your team at that point. It happened to work, and, you know, good for them, I guess, but it, it's almost like they feel like owed something or it, it's it's a weird entitlement with some Yankees fans. I say some, obviously, but it, there's something there. You know what I mean? You're right. And it's also like a level of not wanting to be wrong, that they would yeah. prefer that they end up being right about a move being bad or a contract being bad than the team increasing their odds, even if it's slight, to win a World Series. Because what doesn't make sense, though, and, and the reason why – I feel like I have no choice but to go to that conclusion is because anytime the Yankees lose in the ALCS, whatever, if you try to talk about how it was a good season, people will say anything that's not a World Series win is a failure. And that's fine. If that's how you want to view it, that's fine. And also, if you bring up the win streak that the Yankees have as far as having a winning season 26 years in a row, they say that that doesn't matter, and they don't care about that because it doesn't always result in a World Series win. But they will then turn around and suck off the Rays for all the, quote, right. success they've had. Quote, And unquote. that the Yankees should emulate that when the Rays haven't won shit. And they also don't want the Yankees to make moves now that could possibly catapult them into a World Series. Because they're on the cusp. They're able to make the postseason. So... Don't you think that the people that say that anything less than a World Series is a failure would want them to sign someone like 
Carlos Correa, who is a proven talent in 162 games and in the postseason, or someone like Corey Seager, but they don't want that because it could handcuff them in the future. But I thought you said that you, the win streak or the, the winning season streak didn't matter. So why do you suddenly now care about the stability in the future if that's not something that you care about? I know that's a little convoluted, but... I had the light bulb go off this week, and I was like, holy shit, they're putting people in, the Yankees in a lose-lose situation where no matter what move that they do, these people are going to criticize them if it doesn't work out, and the chances of it not working out are significantly higher than the chances of them winning a World Series. I agree with you, and I think also what you're talking about is even more uh, pronounced, especially with Twitter, you know, among the social medias, just in terms of like, you know, people would rather be right because, you know, then they'll get quote tweeted and, you know, people look back and like, oh, you called it. Oh, you get that pat on the back, that little temporary like, oh, you were right, you know. And that's a nice little uh, little endorphin rush, sure. But, yeah, you know, would you rather be right or would you rather win? And social media is where that gets a little muddy because you're right. Some people are just there. I mean, it's the same thing we talk about. You know, you got to ignore all these clowns. Like, oh, I know a guy who knows a guy who told me this. It's like, it's, it's a... It's one of those things where, like, generally speaking, if they're wrong, well, most people are wrong, so they fade into the background, versus if they nail it, suddenly they're, you know, they're genius. They got, it was like Danny talking last week, they got the sight, you know? <laughs> and it just goes to show that the vast majority of us don't have the fucking stones for this sort of business in that people want to try to hedge the Yankees bets. They want them to not take any risks because, hey, if you don't take any risks, then the potential fall isn't as great. Whereas you can't succeed in this sport without taking huge risks in any sport, but in particularly this one. So if you don't want the Yankees to take risks, then why are you upset about them not fucking winning shit for years? This is what happens. Some of these Yankees fans are not built for a losing season. And I'm sorry to say, it's going to happen eventually. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to win every season forever. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. So when it does happen, there's going to be some people jumping ship and just not handling jumping that well. Ship. I've always hated the Yankees. <laughs> right? <laughs> the Yankees so far haven't made any moves. They've had... Well, um, I wouldn't say they haven't made any moves. <laughs> they did make a huge signing. Luis Rojas... Former Met manager is now the current Yankees third base coach. Now, this is where you'd probably expect me to start laughing maniacally, but I'm not going to do that because I think this is actually a great hire for you guys. I Okay, so, you know, I was actually having this conversation on Twitter with a friend of the show, Hot Dog, Michael the Food Guy. And he, he asked me, he was like, you know, what do I think about the signing? And what I think is that Louis is going to be a good manager one day. I really do believe that. And especially knowing what we now know from, you know, Chili Davis. I'm never not going to say Chili Davis and spill the beans now because it's just too perfect <laughs> together. But no, like, so we, we kind of have at least some inkling that it's it's difficult to tell how much of some of those questionable decisions and moments from Rojas was that because he's not ready or was that because he's being hamstrung by front office game plans that are already in place that he's not allowed to deviate from. We don't know. We will probably never know. But I think it's a fair question. I think that despite some of those eyebrow-raising moments, Louis fundamentally is a good baseball mind. I mean, he comes from... I know this is always dice. Well, he comes from a baseball family, right? And we've, we've seen too many of those go wrong to rely too much, too heavily on that. But the Alus are baseball royalty at the end of the day. 
So yeah, I, I like it. I think that he just needs more experience. I think he needs some freedom. I hope and I think the Yankees will give him that. It's going to be weird seeing him in a Yankees uniform. But I, I like it for you guys at the end of the day. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it's the fucking third base coach. So I'm not going to sit here and act like it's totally meaningless since I absolutely went off on Phil Nevin like three or four weeks ago. So the role has its moments and is certainly important because the third base coach does make snap decisions in game that they're not looking to anyone else to make that call for them when a fucking runner is rounding the bases and there's a ball in the gap. So I'm probably going to regret saying this, but... He can't possibly be worse than Phil Nevin, who had the most outs at home plate this year in the entire league. So short of just matching that, there's nowhere to go but up. I know that we edit this podcast, but if that prediction winds up on the cutting room floor, I am walking. I swear to God. The Mets also made some moves. They picked up a, I don't know if it's official official, but they got Billy Epler as a GM. Yeah, I feel like it probably will be by the time they're listening to this. But as of Wednesday night, it was not official yet. But all signs point to Epler. Epler was originally with the Yankees. Uh, He got hired as a scout in 2004, uh, was promoted. Well, promoted. I think they actually revised the structure of the office and created this position for him as director of pro scouting starting in 2005. Um, and I think he was also the assistant general manager for the Yankees at that time. And then he wound up with the Angels from 2015 to 2020. Now, one of the criticisms you see leveled is that, okay, well, he helped, you know, he built those Angels teams with Mike Trout that went nowhere. But something that Mets fans are all too familiar with, meddling owners, Art Moreno, owner of the Angels, is notorious for... You know, talk about hamstringing with uh, Louis Rojas. He's notorious for that kind of stuff. You know, making the decisions from up top, the GM not really running the team. We'll never really know to what extent that's true, but that's word on the street. Uh, And also, like, maybe he learned from his mistakes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't you want someone with some sort of history that, hey, it may not have worked out so well, but what were we just talking about, right? It doesn't usually work out for most teams every year. Exactly. Yeah. Only one team out of 30 wins the World Series every year, right? So most teams fail at the end of the day. Um, no, but yeah, so Epler is a, is a well-respected baseball guy. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, for all the hand-wringing going on about like, oh, who's going to be the Mets Pobo? Who's going to be the Mets GM? At the end of the day, I don't really care who the GM is. I care what moves are made. You know what I'm saying? Like, Fast forward a year, I may hate Billy Epler, I may love Billy Epler, I don't know. Right now, I don't really have an opinion because he hasn't done anything. You know, so it's all speculation for me for me to get excited or be disappointed or whatever. I don't know what this dude's going to do. You know? So And he can't play for the players. So right, Exactly. We can only Execution judge Execution is important too. Right. We can only judge what and he's done. He will done. be executed if it does not go well. <laughs> we can only judge how he's done as a GM in hindsight, and it all depends on how the players have performed. Because even look at Brian Cashman. On an executive level, he's probably one of the greatest GMs of all time. He's got a few World Series under his belt, and he's kept the team with a winning record for 26-something years. But fans would say that he should be replaced. So right. unless you win a World Series, you can't please the fans. So it's like he's going to get shit no that matter is, what. Yeah, that's how you please the fans, literally. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, and I mean, hey, not for nothing. He was 10 years working under Brian Cashman. Hopefully something rubbed off. Again, like I've been saying the whole time, now they got their guy. Okay, great. Let's see what he does this year. Um, speaking of stuff they're doing this year, 
So the Mets prior to Steve Cohen were notorious for not having an analytics department. When analytics were becoming the move, they didn't have one. Steve Cohen has expanded the analytics department to the order of like hundreds of percent points of, you know, from what they had, which was pretty much nothing. One of the postings was uh, made public this week and just for like a low level analytics guy, you know, you want a math guy, an economics guy. And as part of that, they said no baseball experience required. People lost their minds. This was somehow LOL Mets all over again. Yeah, the the listing I think said actually no baseball knowledge required. And like, it's for a data analyst. A huge aspect of analyzing data is doing the analysis with no bias. So don't you think it may be a little bit of a conflict of interest for like someone who's been a fucking huge baseball fan their entire life to now try and come and analyze cold data for the organization to make decisions? Like there's a huge portion of this sport that is just a business. So you don't need to know baseball. It's a lot easier to teach baseball than it is to teach fucking data analysis and all, uh, you know, uh, calculus and all the things that go into being in an analytics department for one of the 30 major league baseball teams that it's a lot easier to teach someone the fucking basic rules of baseball that isn't really necessary for their role anyway. What's that you say? Baseball's a business? No way, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know what people are thinking. and, and It's lazy, it, it's just a lazy reaction. It is, and it's, it's just on the whole, the culture war that baseball is going through right now. It Not just sure. it just fed into it, and we're just gonna have to deal with this for probably another 10 or 15 years or so. Just a culture war that just will rage on <laughs> for as long as possible, because people love to drag things out. And speaking of dragging things out, I don't know how that's a segue either. I was going to say, what, is the episode over? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we got some of the award announcements under our belt. Of course, the MVP is going to be announced tomorrow, so we won't be able to discuss that for actually two weeks because we're taking next week off due to uh, Thanksgiving travel. But we have our Rookie of the Years, Randy Rosarena and Jonathan India of the Reds. And I don't know about anyone listening, but I can't believe a Rosarena one rookie of the year because of last year's postseason, I feel like he is a grizzled vet at this point. Uh, yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. It was like, wait, Arazarena is still a rookie? Jesus. I know. I cannot wait for him to reach free agency or for the fucking Rays to trade him away in the next few years because I'm tired of his ass. That's it. <laughs> Nothing is a sure bet in baseball except that he will not be <laughs> yes. a Ray within the next five years. 100%. Kevin Cash won manager of the year. So the Rays, I mean, that's it for them. Obviously, Otani's going to win MVP in the American League, but the Rays did pretty nicely. And Gabe Kepler won manager of the year for the Giants, which I also think was a, a shoo-in. I saw Dodgers fans being like, Dave Roberts wasn't even nominated. He had a super team. That's like that's like thinking that Joe Torre is the manager of the fucking century because of the Yankees teams as if there weren't five Hall of Famers on there. Talk about short attention spans. Like the Giants lose in the NLDS and everybody forgets how the entire season was them bucking these low expectations. It's like, oh yeah, but they lost, so. Yeah, he basically won that award in July. Uh, as yes, soon as they were 100%. like, they had overperformed to that point. It was like, all right, well, I guess we have to give it to them no matter what. Right. <laughs> Robbie Ray took home the American League Cy Young and Corbin Burns took home the National League, which that has caused you. People are so upset that he beat 
Zach Wheeler because Zach Wheeler had like 30 or 40 more innings pitched than he did that you would think that they gave the award to me or something. People are losing their minds. My favorite little fun fact, well, actually there's two. My favorite little fun fact about the Cy Young this year is Jacob deGrom received a vote. He did? <laughs> he received one fifth place vote. So he technically came in ninth out of nine in the Cy Young voting in 2021. On a more... <laughs> I know. On a more serious Hasn't note. Hasn't pitched since like fucking June. Literally, yeah. Literally since before the All-Star break. Insane. The coolest thing to me though is Ray sucked in 2020. Corbin Burns sucked in 2019. So it's a little bit of a redemption arc, which how could you not be romantic about baseball, right? Sorry, I just watched Moneyball last night. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, it, it's such such a nice, like, you know, when you see guys like down like that, you know, at a low point in their career, and then they not only get their shit together, but get it to Cy Young level together. How can you not love that shit? And also Corbin Burns, he was a fourth round pick from the 2016 draft, as was last year's AL Cy Young Award winner, Shane Bieber of the now the Cleveland Guardians. He was also a fourth round pick from the 2016 draft. So within five years, Two fourth-round picks from that draft have won Cy Young Awards. I mean, if that also doesn't just show the random-ass nature of this fucked-up sport, I don't know what does. Now, speaking of Guardians, before we get into the voicemails, if I may, there's a couple interesting lawsuits going on in the MLB that were just recently settled. So the first one, you guys may have heard, uh, the Cleveland Guardians were being sued by a roller derby team in Cleveland, also called the Guardians. And it all kind of shook out the way that we thought. Surprise, surprise. They pay the team a bunch of money. Everybody gets to stay the Guardians. Who could have seen it coming? I, know, I love that headline, too. It's like, both have decided that they're both going to be yeah. the Guardians. Like, yeah, as if as if MLB was going to change anything. They'd already printed up all the fucking merch. Exactly. The only thing that's going to change is the Cleveland Guardians roller derby team is going to be in much snazzier uniforms next year. That's it. Plus, I think part of the deal was the Dolan family getting a box in the roller derby rink. Oh, for sure. <laughs> now, the other lawsuit, this one is crazy, man. So the Philly Fanatic apparently was not the Philly Fanatic that we all knew. I won't say loved because it's the Phillies, but that, you know, <laughs> has become endeared to certain other fan bases. Um, so apparently what happened was... The Phillies only adopted the Fanatic in the 70s, and it was created by an independent firm. It was somebody like tangentially related to uh, Jim Henson and the Muppets, like the same kind of, you know, working with that kind of stuff. So get a load of this. I, I had to learn something about U.S. copyright law to understand this. So the creators, and I'm, I'm quoting from the Philadelphia Inquirer here, the creators sold the Fanatic's copyright to the team in 1984 for $250,000. According to federal copyright law, after 35 years, artists can renegotiate the rights to their creation. Now, apparently, they I think they, they like sued the Phillies because they felt like they weren't properly compensated for how big the Fanatic came. The Phillies came back with, well, without us, the Fanatic would not have been promoted and developed into what he is now, yada, yada, yada. Point being, last year, apparently the Phillies' workaround, while this was still being settled, was to create like a bizarro version of the fanatic he said it, it said it has a bigger backside which is funny shortened snout feathery eyelashes new shoes and added wings side note apparently the fanatic's supposed to be a bird today i learned 
I know, I know. Point being, long story short, they wound up settling. And now everyone goes home happy. The Phillies had to pay whatever undisclosed amount to the original creators. And now the Phillies are able to use either the original version of the Fanatic or the new bizarro bastardized one that they created to skirt around the lawsuit. <laughs> the point being is that they're going to be bringing the old Fanatic back and credit where credit's due, man. He's, you know me, I like mascots. I got to admit when a good mascot's a good mascot, the Philly Fanatic released a press conference a la Michael Jordan when he came back from baseball and it's just, I'm back. That shit's funny. I mean, I, I don't worry people. Soon enough, we're going to be posting our recordings on YouTube because I wish you all could have seen my face as John was just reading off that story because only in America in 2021 can the business side of a sport be so litigious and so in our faces that the fucking mascots and their legal battles are front page news and something that is newsworthy and that we are now talking about. (laughs) And I also love Imagining the knockoff version of the Fanatic that they tried to push on people last year, like now being disgruntled and like now like out in the streets of Philly on Victory Avenue or whatever right. that is, like all like kind of like dirty and just like in the parking lot, getting like pushed around. Well, that's I've brought this up before. One of my favorite things is when they they referenced it on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the whole episode they had to call it the Philly Frenetic with an R (laughs) until the very end when Charlie's like walking out he's like and you know it's not even the Philly Frenetic it's the Philly Fanatic but I'm gonna get sued if I call him that alright first of all I had to call him the Frenetic his name's the Fanatic but you know I'm gonna get sued by Major League Baseball if I call him the Fanatic and let's talk about steroids can we talk about steroids can we talk about steroid abuse it's bullshit it's ruining the game it's ruining and on that note, let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Bubak. Kids, I'm back. Uh, not because I took a hiatus because I wanted to come back. I don't know. There's some weird thing in Breaking Balls land that's like, oh, Bubak takes a break from voicemails and comes back with an outlandish voicemail. That's not what this is. I'm just saying I'm back. Uh, I was on some weird uh, hiatus just because... The call, the, the the night you guys record changed, and that threw me off, and then we had, it's just, baseball's over, and I'm sad about that. I don't know, but I'm back. First things first, uh, DJ, if you could, you know, play some sad music right now. John, uh, I mean, I am kind of giddy to say this, but I am sorry. Uh, no center guard did not sign with the Mets. Uh, that sucks. That being said, uh Luis Rojas is now the Yankees' new third-base coach. And, I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but take it or leave it. And, yeah, I, I had a whole bunch of other things I was going to talk to you about, but, you know, it's let's just ease into things. Off-season voicemails, they're going to come at you hot. I'm sorry about that. I love you guys. Boobock, out! Boobock, let me just first say that I am very happy to hear your voice when i saw your voicemail come in the other day i was pretty fucking psyched and it's great to have you back buddy yeah boobock i appreciate the uh, sentiment but i don't need your sympathy no i'm kidding <laughs> um no no i appreciate it but as i said earlier in the episode i'm honestly happy for both guys i think it's a good deal for both of them and i also don't think that the mets are really any worse off if anything i mean my big takeaway from the, the whole thor thing is okay go sign Strowman. Like, tomorrow. Boobock, thank you so much for coming back to us, and thank you so much for your call. Boobock, come back. 
any kind of fool could see. Our next call is from Michael the Food Guy. Hot Dog here, and sources tell me that this week's episode of Breaking Bob needed a little phone call from the food guy. Been listening every week, I just haven't had too much to say, you know. The off-season's kind of sad, no boobock meltdowns. Um, so I just sit back, put my feet up, enjoy. Keep going, kids, you're doing great. Hot Dog, as you just heard, he's back. Boobock is boobock. And I'm glad that you called. We haven't heard from you in a long time. Uh, we need all of our friends to be calling in this offseason. It's going to be a long offseason for all of us, so let's get weird, people. Let's fucking make this something fun, all right? So, Hot Dog, try to call in a little bit more often, all right? Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Our next phone call is from James. Hey, guys. It's your boy, James, Rebirth Chaos 09. A couple of quick things. Number one, who, Emily, it looks like it's coming down to Correa Seeger. Who would you prefer to have? And I'm leaning towards Correa. And number two, John, um, how would you like the idea of Chris Bryan coming to the Mets? James, I absolutely want Correa. I mean, I won't be crying if they get Seager. That's a pretty good uh, consolation prize as far as I'm concerned. But I 100% want Carlos Correa on the Yankees. Um. I'm going to stay in that vein and say I would 100% want Chris Bryan on the Mets. That Hell would yeah. be a huge upgrade for – I mean, <laughs> I don't know how closely you watched the Mets, James, but uh, our third base situation last year was not great. So, yeah, that would be a huge upgrade for us. Who was that, J.D. Davis? It was a combination of Davis and uh, VR and oh, – yeah. it, was, it was, you know, patchwork over the course of the season, you know. James, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from the Stat Guru. Hello, Breaking Balls crew. This is the former uh, statistician, reviewer, whatever you want to say, now pitching coach at Santa Barbara Community College, Max Greenfield calling in. Um, you know, it's been a bit of a hectic start to the week in terms of news and rumors and everything like that. So I was actually kind of curious to hear your thoughts on if your team could sign or trade for one player that people aren't really talking about, who would it be? If I were the Yankees and for some reason the Madison trade doesn't go through, I would be looking at Brandon Belt over Anthony Rizzo. I think Brandon Belt is quietly very, very underrated. Um, I think if you go look at his numbers from 2020 and beyond, they've been really good. And really, if you look at his career numbers overall, they're shockingly great. So that's a guy I would consider for the Yankees. For the Mets, I mean, you know, I think a potential Matt Chapman trade makes sense, right? Like you know, Oakland, again, they're probably selling, but I'm not entirely sure, uh, you know, what the Mets game plan is now that they have a GM. I know they're focused on hiring a manager, but somebody that I would like to see them try and pick up would be Starling Marte. I know that there's um, you know, a bit of an outfield log jam, depending on the DH rules and whatnot. But I think Marte can, you know, him and Brandon Nimmo would pair up really well in the top of that lineup. I know there's some concerns over Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor, and maybe, you know, with Robinson Cano coming back, maybe getting some infield depth would help. You know, signing Baez is probably going to happen, but I, I would be in on Starling Marte. Curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, a lot of love coming from over here. Miss doing the reviews and everything, but, you know, being a pitching coach takes up a lot of time. Who knew? Have a great one, guys. 
To be honest, Max, beyond Brandon Belt, I, I guess maybe Josh Bell, I feel like might be a good fit. He only has a year left on his contract, so I don't know how realistic that is. But I would also say maybe CJ Cron. I know he just signed a deal with the the Rockies, but I feel like he would be a decent fit too, because I'm trying to think of teams that are also, that would be willing to make trades. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Would I love to say, Oh, uh, you know, Max Muncy would be great for the Yankees or, or even, you know, Jake Cronenworth, but I highly doubt the teams like the Dodgers and the Padres are trying to do deals with the Yankees, especially since they're also trying to win. So I think the Mets should get Shohei Otani, uh, Mike <laughs> Trout, Robbie Ray, Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer. No, Max, I got to be honest, man. I really am unable to improve on Olsen and Marte. Those are great suggestions. It would be great additions for the Mets. And then I would also piggyback. I mean, it's, it's not a great answer because I have heard some people talk about it, but Chris Bryant, too, man. That would be a, another great addition for the Mets. Um yeah, no, I'm in a similar boat. As, as per usual, your baseball opinions outclass mine, so I really can't improve <laughs> on that, dude. You nailed it, as always. And Max, may I say, thanks for calling in. It was great to hear from you, man. We miss you here. Yeah, Max, we were all like, oh, when you first started talking, we were like, oh, my God, we were so happy to hear your voice. <laughs> Max, thanks for calling in, as always. And our next call is from Nick. John talked a lot of shit a couple of pods ago, you know, saying Americans suck, but... He didn't even make it closer to the final step, so how dare you? Second of all, congratulations, Danny B. You uh, kicked our ass. But just like just like King Ralph came to England, I'm going to dominate next year and do it for Americans. And, uh, John, ha- how you feel about Luis Rojas being third-base coach for the New York Yankees? And how, how do you feel about your new GM, buddy? And Emily, keep killing it. Okay, so what we have here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is a first-hand example of how, if you're not careful, stuff that you didn't say can get twisted into stuff that apparently you did say. Uh, what I said, <laughs> Nick, was... I was joking. You call me bastard, John! I was going to say, oh my gosh, came at me hard there. I was criticizing the fact that, you know, a Brit won our American baseball competition and that all the Americans who entered did a bad job. And apparently now that was just me saying that Americans suck. Um, John, our grandfather didn't fight in World War II for nothing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the new podcast name is uh, Breaking the Bourgeoisie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, but on a serious note, Nick, um, good luck next year. You know, you're going to have to wait. Danny's the reigning champ, man. He's got you for a year there. And uh, as I said, uh, you know, we already talked about both those moves, so I don't want to rehash them. But again, I'm fine with all moves all around. I'm more curious to see what Epler does than I am, you know, excited or disappointed or anything like that. Nick, thank you so much for your call and accusation. <laughs> Our next call is from Will. Hey, guys, it's Will again. Um, didn't think I'd be calling back to back weeks, but here we are. I'm sure you've spoken about the Correa comment um, ad nauseum at this point on the show, so I'll just make my comment quick. Um, I think more of it is less about what Correa said being true and more of it being an attack on on your guy, on the captain. I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is that Chipper's an anti-vaxxer, so when it comes down to it, None of our heroes are perfect. Um, you know, I think 
I think that's what it comes down to. But even looking at the fact that Correa probably being right is Jeter was horrible defensively for most of his career, but yet he was remembered for the jump throws, the cutoff against the A's, diving into the stands. And I think a lot of the Derek Jeter being a great shortstop just comes down to a bunch of anecdotal evidence rather than statistics. But, um, you know, you look at it, the second the Yankees acquired A-Rod, he became the second best shortstop on the team. And I would even go further and say the second Robinson Cano got called up, Jeter was probably in the number three hole. But he stayed at shortstop because he was the captain. He's Mr. November. You know, that's that's where he was going to play the rest of his career no matter what, even if they were tossed to put him in center field in the last couple of years of his career. But, you know, I think any of this, not wanting Yankees fans to add Correa to – their team is is gonna come back come back to do just what it's gonna do. I mean, they're gonna be wondering where the runs are gonna come from, and it's not gonna be shortstop. So, anyway, you're talking to y'all. Keep up the good work. Will I agree with you? And, and I think it also has to do a lot with, you know, we want to put these guys on pedestals, and that pedestal always has to be one of perfection. But that just doesn't work in a game of failure so for Yankee fans to be on some no one can be honest about any players from Yankee history that have reached a certain level that they're now immortalized and legendary and and legit Hall of Famers so they see it as like besmirching him as opposed to people just are talking about a player's career and that doesn't always come with elite play it's a testament to the sport of how someone can be an all-time great and leave a legacy like Jeter did and still not be the best at his position in every realm of the game. I think that that is something that makes baseball romantic. Will, you make a good point there, man. And I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Emily used, which I, I like this a lot, Emily used the phrase baseball culture wars. And Jeter is very much part of that because there's a segment of especially a little bit older baseball fans, you are never going to convince them that their eye test ain't worth shit. You know, so a lot of these Yankee fans, you know, who watched Derek Jeter's whole career, you, you know, it, and it's one of those things that comes back to range, right? Derek Jeter did not have fantastic range at shortstop, so he had to make plays look extra dramatic that a shortstop with better range would not. So it's easy for the eye test to misinterpret that as, oh, what a great shortstop. It's like, well, a really good shortstop wouldn't need all that effort on that play type thing, you know? So again, it's, you're, you're not going to convince these people who, you know, that, that I, but I saw it with my own two eyes. I know what I saw. It's like, well, you don't really, but I can't convince you otherwise. So this conversation is just not going to go anywhere, you know? Will, thank you so much for your call. Our last call is from Quinn. Hey, it's Quinn. I got a couple things. So, first of all, I think I should probably withdraw my name from the consideration for Mets GM um, because the first time I make a trade, someone would probably tell me I'm an idiot and it would probably be a bad trade so they wouldn't be wrong. And then I would probably get upset and resign. So, or either that or I'd get run out of town for saying Keith Hernandez was better on the Cardinals. And second, John mentioned uh, how they mowed the arch into Bush Stadium. Uh, so I need to talk about that. They first did that during the 2009 All-Star Game, and they were only going to do it then, but people liked it so much that they that they kept doing it. But they had to get special permission from MLB to do it, so they almost never do it anymore, which I think is dumb because 
other teams get to play in a circus tent where fly balls hit catwalks but can't mow the arch into a grass, which everybody likes just because the ball rolls a little bit differently. And then, um, third of all, um, I, I recently saw a picture of Glaber with a beard, and if I wasn't already convinced, that convinced me that the Yankees need to maybe loosen up the grooming policy, at least for him, or also everybody. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Quinn, I, too, think it's stupid that teams have to, like, ask Major League Baseball for permission to put things like city and, and state landmarks on their outfield grass, especially now that we know that the league didn't give a shit, that pitchers were literally putting, like, fucking super glue on the baseball for all of these years, and they're concerned about how the ball hits the grass when it's shaped in a certain way to look like something, but they're not concerned about how maybe uh, sticky stuff could affect the ability to hit the ball for fucking years. Even then, that begs the question, if it changes, you know, if it fucks with the ball that much, why is it ever allowed? Right. Right? Like, why sometimes that's okay? Like, hey, we're just going to mail this game in, guys. Uneven playing surface, but it looks great. Also, like, if a fly ball hits the second ring of the right, right. trop, it's a double, <laughs> but you better not have the arches in the outfield grass. <laughs> Quinn, I'm going to go ahead and ignore your Keith Hernandez slander, <laughs> because that's exactly what it is, my friend. Um, no, I just wanted to touch briefly on... Uh, you know, making fun of, I'm down for this, making fun of the Yankees' facial hair policy. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Marcus Stroman was clowning on some Yankee fans. Someone made some mock-up of him in the Yankees' uniform and was like, hey, Stro. And he responded with the gif of uh, a 50 cent in the car, just like laughing and then speeding away. And a bunch of Yankees fans flipped their shit. He said something to Taiwan. Taiwan Walker responded. And he said something like, yeah, man, these, uh, you know, the dreads and the do-rag and the tattoos aren't going anywhere. So pretty clear that, I mean, don't, it's not like he was really heavily rumored for the Yankees, but uh, I don't think he's going to wind up in the Bronx. And one of my favorite things about the offseason is seeing literally every single Yankee grows facial hair. Judge had a little right, right. something going on a few <laughs> weeks ago. The Glaber, every single one of them grows a little bit of facial hair. So I feel like that's a silent and albeit useless off-season protest of sorts that it's like we all like having facial hair and having our hair in certain ways so what the fuck quinn thank you so much for your call and thank you to all of our callers you guys are amazing anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun feeling brassy give the breaking balls hotline a call 631-820-7377 as i mentioned earlier Next week, we will not be recording an episode of Breaking Balls because DJ Bingington and I will be traveling for Thanksgiving and we won't really have the time to uh, get one in. So this will be the first week since April of 2020 that we don't have a podcast. Wow. That's actually, that's quite a streak. That's not, right? too, that's not too shabby. But because of that, we have to get our Thanksgiving stuff in this episode because by the time we come back, Thanksgiving will be in the rear view and we'll be all about New Year's and, and Christmas and Hanukkah mode. So as we were trying to come up with this episode... Emily, we were, I, I work at a church. You think I'm not in Christmas mode already? I've been running rehearsals since Halloween. <laughs> well, in this household, in this Jewish household, right. we don't get into Christmas <laughs> mode until after Thanksgiving, okay? This week's top six, much with our Thanksgiving theme, John and I decided to fuck it. Let's just do top six Thanksgiving sides. Now, 
you, you say fuck it, but this is a definitive list. This is not up for argument. This is not up for debate. This is factual, people. And I'm going to invite myself to kick it off with number six. Thanks, John. I'd love to. Okay, so. <laughs> no, <laughs> the number six top Thanksgiving side is pearled onions in cream sauce. If you are somehow not familiar, all I can say is I'm sorry. And if you don't like onions... <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is number six. It's If you're not familiar, it's just these little onions. And they're super tender and cooked down in a cream sauce. It's not like soup. It's nothing like that. It's a little bit of sauce to it. It's just, oh, man, they pop in your mouth. It's so good. If you're an onion person and you haven't tried pearled onions and cream sauce, you are missing out and not doing Thanksgiving right. The number five Thanksgiving side is corn. My family prepares it as corn pudding. Other people have different styles of corn. Any way you fucking make the corn, it's delicious. <laughs> I anytime someone just says corn, like out of con, like just really simply out of context, I always picture the Simpsons episode where uh, they're doing the Model UN and Bart has to do the report about Libya. He's like, uh, <clears throat> let's see, uh, the exports of Libya are numerous in amount. One thing they export is corn, or as the Indians call it. Maize. One of Libya's main exports is corn, or as the Indians called it, maize. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that trope of just like, here's, I, I know stuff, right? See, look at me, I know stuff. <laughs> All right, so the number four, top Thanksgiving side, string bean casserole. Ooh, now yeah. you may have noticed there's a theme these first through. They're all in some kind of like cream sauce because it's good. No, man. Mm -hmm. I'm, this one is cream of mushroom. Cream of mushroom, yes. Along. Now, I don't know about you. I like a little uh, little bit of almonds cooked, thrown in that casserole. Almonds? Or, yeah, you combine the best elements of string bean casserole and string bean almondine. Yo, I'm allergic to almonds, and I like that better. It's amazing. I'm not physically allergic to almonds. I am emotionally allergic to almonds. <laughs> I'm emotionally intolerant. Oh, oh, to, to almonds, to almonds. <laughs> the number three Thanksgiving side, mashed potatoes. I mean, honestly, we could have put mashed potatoes in all six spots. It's that good. But it came in at number three on this list because numbers two and number one are just that fucking good. Or we could just do like six different varieties of potatoes, but we're not that desperate for content yet. Potatoes. Potatoes. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. All right. The number two. Now, this is where it gets a little controversial. The number two <laughs> top Thanksgiving side, and again, not up for debate, but still controversial, is stuffing. Now, stuffing arguably should be number one, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. It's, it's delicious. It, it's bread. I mean, like, what else do you want? It's tastier bread. My God. And it goes with everything. It's one of the things like even, you know, you go to a diner in the middle of July. And you're like, hey, can I get a, uh, one of those Thanksgiving sandwiches? And that stuffing and turkey, like, man. And stuffing is one of the best leftovers, too. Like, it holds oh, it up so well. Oh, it reheats like a motherfucker. Oh, my God. Now, the number one top Thanksgiving side, and this is controversial. I'm glad you have number one, not me. But we are standing by this. Gravy. I mean, it literally... Goes oh, on top Emily, of all it's not this a side. Shit. Yes, it is. It is. I mean, if it only went on one item on the Thanksgiving plate, I would then be okay with it being classified as a condiment. But it is literally being dumped on the entire fucking plate. At that point, it's part of the meal. It is not. It is no longer a condiment, and it is now 
a featured member of this meal. 100%. And before anybody comes at me like, oh, okay, well, would you eat just a spoonful of gravy by itself? Yeah. You don't know me. I sure fucking would. And like Mary Poppins said, a spoonful of gravy helps the medicine go down. The medicine being the turkey, which is not the star of the Thanksgiving dinner. Let's get real. An honorable mention to the list, and this is only because we love and appreciate DJ Bingington. Because I was going to say, because we went 10 minutes over and we made more work for him this week. Yeah, now we have to acknowledge his favorite side, which is sweet potatoes, the yams. You know, usually it's like with marshmallows on top or whatever. And John and I decidedly did not include this in the list, but DJ Bingington is the one who edits the show. So therefore, it is not only a mention, but an honorable mention. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything negative here because DJ Bingington has the power to make me sound like I'm saying whatever he wants. And don't you forget it. That about wraps it up for Breaking Balls this week. We hope that everyone listening has a wonderful Thanksgiving. To say we are thankful for all of you is the understatement of the century. And again, there will be no episode next week. We will be back the following week, though, and then we will be here until next Thanksgiving. So until then, if you're feeling brassy, the Breaking Balls hotline will still be open. Give us a call. Tell us how your Thanksgiving is. Give us your top six Thanksgiving sides list. 631-820-7377. You can also find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. And we want to thank our amazing and talented producer and engineer. And noted sweet potato fan. DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well. At DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys in two weeks.